As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week, it's the 750th Little Atoms... And I'm talking to John Waters about his new novel, Liarmouth. So I can't quite believe that it's the 750th episode of Little Atoms, nor that I'm on the phone to Baltimore, Maryland, or should I say Balmore, Maryland, with John Waters. John Waters is a writer, a film director, an actor and a visual artist best known for his films, which include Hairspray, Pink Flamingos and Serial Mum. He's the author of a number of non-fiction books, Role Models, Carsick and Mr. Know-It-All are just some of them. And his spoken word shows, This Filthy World and A John Waters Christmas, continue to be formed around the world. And indeed, he has a new spoken word show, False Negative, which is going to be on at the Barbican later this week on Friday the 10th June. But I, I understand that it's sold out, but... um. I'm going to be there, cannot wait. Today we're going to be talking about John's debut novel, which is Liar Mouth, A Feel Bad Romance. John, welcome to Little Atoms. Thank you, and congratulations on 750. You must be almost as old as I am. <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> this is your first novel, as I said. You've written a number of books of nonfiction. Yep. Obviously, you know, all of your films and other things that you've written are obviously, you know, they are fiction. But um, Even though... There were days when Pink Flamingos came out when people would say to me, so, do you all still live up in that trailer? <laughs> it wasn't true. You know? And we burned the trailer down. Why would you still live yeah. there? <laughs> people thought it was real, that we really were those people. Well, why now for the novel? Well, because I wanted to dare myself. Same way I you know, hitchhiked across the country by myself. I took LSD at 70 again to see what it would be like. And I thought, well, I never wrote a novel. Even though I've read novels my whole life, I've written about my favorite ones in my book Role Models. So it was it was just something, a new challenge to do. And it was, uh, I could go into so much more detail about how the characters think of stuff. Because in a movie, you just have to show it or they have to say it. 
But in a novel, you can go into every tiny bit of, of the feeling the character has as they said it. And especially when I'm parodying or writing a novel in the first place by calling it a feel-bad romance and, you know, sex writing that's insane and narrative that's so over the top and even alliteration abuse, which I love. I mean, did you literally sit down a few months back or a year back to write this novel or is it something that has been sort of like bubbling in your mind for a few years? Well, I sat back three years ago and wrote it, and I wrote, I think, seven drafts before I turned it in. So um, it didn't just come out like uh, you're sitting there, oh, I think I told a little story, and you read it down one time, and that's the book. I wish it was like that. I wish I could find a way to do that, but I can't. Had it been bubbling inside me, I think every work I've ever done had was been bubbling inside me for a certain point. Those characters were not hard to bring out. They, I learned to be them. I was them when I'm writing the book. And uh, when you're done, you think of new characters. It's a, it's a way to have many personalities to be a writer and to be many people. Tell us something about the main protagonist of the story, who is Marsha Sprinkle. I want to talk about some of the other characters as well, but tell us about Marsha first. She's an, an incredible creation. Well, she's very unlikable to most people, but I'm asking you to root for her, even though she's a suitcase thief. She hates animals. She hates children. Her own family wants her dead. And she lies for power, for anarchy, and she thinks it makes her look prettier. And she really is on the run until one insane man, she finally meets her match, and he makes her tell the truth. And then it becomes a romance that might make others feel bad, but makes me feel good. I love the, the lying, the joy she gets from it as well. Years and years ago, I used to have a friend who was a compulsive liar and you'd go to a bar, you'd, you'd go for a piss and come back and he'd be talking to somebody and was telling them that he was like, I don't know, like a high court judge or something. And you'd just have to play along with it. And it was like, you know, that'd be the evening. And it was like a real joy. And, and I just had some like real fun with some of the whoppers that Marsha tells. Well, and she, yeah, she just likes the anarchy it comes. Like and for no reason she'll be waiting in line in an airport and say, did you hear it's snowing where we're going? And there's a what? what? I'm probably going to get canceled. But just to cause people to go crazy. She tells children, lovely little children, that their favorite idols have been killed in a car accident. She does really terrible things. But somehow in this book, hopefully, and the reaction so far has been that people would want to come along on the ride with her because she's so devious and she thinks she's perfect. She doesn't ever learn her lesson. She does meet her match, though. And when she meets her match, uh, it becomes uh, sexual and uh, at the same time, even more ludicrous in a way. I don't think anybody is getting superly, wildly turned on when they're reading this book. But maybe, you never know. The scams that she pulls, the sort of suitcase thefts and, and like various pickpocketings and stuff, they're so vivid. Where do, they, where do they come from? They come from because I am in airports almost every day of my life. So I, you write what you know. So, and I also had a friend that did used to steal stewardesses. They called them stewardesses then, pocketbook on the airplane. And I did go in a department store and rip my tennis shoes and say that I had ripped them on the escalator and demand $25. This was really a long time ago. I did go in a department store and put on clothes and then go apply for a job wearing the stolen clothes and fill out the job application with phony names. But those are the only really three things in the books that had some real basis on truth. 
The rest is you just let your imagination go. But while I was traveling all the time and writing it, I was constantly watching people in airports. And I don't know. I just came back from three cities and I got randomly checked for security three times. And I hope it's not because of this book. Poppy, who is Marsha's daughter, tell us something about her. Well, she's obsessive. When she was owned a trampoline park that was put out of business because of a terrible act of negligence on her part. But her cult of trampoline followers are, are really a cult, and they go underground, and they try to spread the word of trampolining. So they always have to bounce. They bounce wherever they go. Their car has bouncing things in it. They have to sleep on water beds. They only eat food that bounces up and down. So she becomes more and more obsessed with the power of movement. And they become like this minority that is really hated. And people, I guess you could call them bounceists, people that hate people that bounce. So they become a ludicrous minority that is fighting for their rights in the book. Yeah, they go through bouncing and then shaking and rolling and end up flying. And I did wonder, I was thinking of... Well, they rise. They don't fly for long. They they, they hover for a few seconds. It's it's a pitiful miracle. A pitiful miracle, yeah. Um, Yeah, I I was sort of trying to rack through various different sort of modern phenomenons in my mind to try and work out what these things were, you know, various metaphors for. But uh, yeah, I guess you've just said it. They're, They're basically like ever smaller and smaller and smaller minority groups. Yes, until but they take themselves quite seriously. And, um, you know, there are people who just say, stop that bouncing. They get really threatened by it. <laughs> and so I am satirizing, in a way, all the political correctness that you bit really pretty soon, if you believed in this book, the bounces, you couldn't say the word bounce. You'd have to think of another word to say it, and you would be tolerant of all their behavior, even though it might have it might disturb the train ride you're on or anything you're trying to do when you're watching a movie and people are bouncing in front of you. But um, I think that is the basis of humor, is breaking all kinds of rules, even crazy ones that we live with today. And I wanted to say something about, well, about Daryl, who is Marsha's sort of dog's body and accomplice in, in the robberies. But actually, I guess I really want to talk about Richard. Tell us who he is. Yeah. Well, Daryl is a horn dog, and his salary is that he gets to have sex with Marcia once a year. But as she puts it, she's no man's used-up calendar, so she dumps him. So he is has an unfortunate erotic accident in the airport. But then his penis, who starts talking to him, named Richard, and then the penis turns gay, and it really horrifies him. This is not bisexual, because his penis is gay, but his head above is heterosexual. So it's like above and below the equator and what that war would be like within a person. So I mentioned the um, false negative, which is the, the spoken word show, which is happening at the Barbican on, on Friday the 10th of June. What can we expect from that? Hopefully you can expect, you know, a 70-minute monologue about how the world has changed and is never going to go back in fashion and sex and movies and uh politics and humor even about and how to survive this and and how we can be our own booster shots and still be infected and spread our joyous deviancy to the unsuspecting world. And I just wanted to ask you something about your city, Baltimore. I interviewed the the writer Laura Lippman, who resides in that great city as well, a few weeks ago. And we talked about how relatively recently and also perhaps as as a result of the pandemic as well as ever escalating property prices places that baltimore is gentrifying rapidly and people are moving there from other cities new york or philadelphia where they're being priced out of um how have you seen your city change in the last few years 
I don't think. I think what happens is everywhere else I go is completely different. Like San Francisco looks like Baltimore now. New York does because of the, the havoc that the city and the mental health of people have played. Baltimore has always been crazy people everywhere. So to me, it's kind of the same. Um, do I feel it's being overly gentrified? I don't, actually. Um, I, I think it is still a city you can make a dollar holler in. That's why there is a real bohemia here. That's why it is a good place for kids to move, because you can um, survive here on less, you know. And it's always been a city that has celebrated uh, weird people. I mean, think of all the people that have made movies here. David Simon makes The Wire. Uh, Barry Levinson makes a movie about tin men salesmen. I make movies about serial moms, you know. And Tyler is the one that even makes normal people look kind of strange, except lovingly, in her novels. So everybody here celebrates what a strange city Baltimore is. And just one more thing, then, and I'll ask you to, to read as a bit of lie mouth, if you would. So you've been working for, I mean, I hate to say it, but, you know, 60 years-ish now. Well, why do you hate to say it? I didn't even <laughs> say it. Well, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not middle-aged. I'm not going to live to be 152. Long, long time. Um, and wondered what, you know, your work has always been, it's, you know, had its brushes with acceptability and things like Hairspray and, and, and mainstream films like Serial Mom, but you've, you've always pushed boundaries and you, you're doing that here again with this novel. And I wonder how the climate that will receive this novel has changed from that which would have received your early films. Well, maybe because I had no idea how the reception of this novel would be. In America, it's been very good. And I thought, boy, this could go either way. You could really hate this novel, too. So uh, I've been thrilled. I think that people are much more open to humor that pushes the boundaries. So I've been thrilled by it. I think it's much easier today to have a book like this out than it would have been when I was young. And it was in the 50s. I'd be in prison for writing this book. Can I get so to... I'm going to read the opening paragraph, all right, for you? Okay. All right. Marcia Sprinkle has always been glad she's self-employed. She's her own boss, and that's the way it must continue to be. She can't imagine having regular office hours, punching time clocks, or paying taxes. Fellow employees are impossible for her to picture unless she can dominate their every move. Marcia is better than other people. She knows that. Smarter, too. Maybe not about the needless crap they tried to teach her in school, but about important stuff like how to put things over on other people who think they have the right to speak to her before being spoken to first. The ones who make unashamed eye contact as if it were their God-given right to invade her privacy. Marcia just feels everybody else on earth is, well, too familiar, common. No one has the right to know her. That's the first page, and it gets worse. So I've been talking to John Waters. We've been talking about his debut novel, Liar Mouth, A Feel Bad Romance, which is out in the UK from Corsair. John, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, and thanks for your 751st. I look forward to that. This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented, and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89Up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.